This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, stackers, it's Friday, and I can't wait for uh, you to hear this last episode of the week. But if you've already heard uh, what I'm about to tell you, which you might be thinking to yourself, how do I know what you're about to tell me? Well, if you heard the show the last couple days, you heard the open, you can go ahead and fast forward, uh, hit the fast forward button a couple times because we are pushing back our live tour by two months and go back to Wednesday show at the open to hear why we go through all the reasons why we needed to push this back to March 1st. Uh, but stackybenjamins.com slash stacked. So we will not be in Dallas Austin or Houston next week. We won't be on the West Coast the next week after that, but we do have new dates up and we are furiously, quickly adding new locations to the calendar. We have the places, uh, the cities, we are now going to add the actual locations. Okay, that's that. I hope everybody has a happy new year. And here is OG and I with the previously recorded open to today's last show of the year. It's our last show of the year. I'm so sad. We should we should do it again next year though. So then you're not sad. Do a do a final show at the end of next year? No, we should just do we should do a show on Monday just to be safe. Okay, fine. And by the way, if we're going to kick it off, why don't we let's get all crazy and kick it off with a big guest. Okay. Why don't I call we our must. friend? Let's call Ramit. If we must. See if Ramit wants to join us. Ramit Sadie. How about that? He, be, he, could, he should be so lucky. He, he, yes. Ramit's been begging to be on the show. All that Ramit does. Ramit's constantly at the door upstairs uh, begging mom. Can I come down to the basement? Yeah. I, just, I just want to talk to Joe and OG some more. You guys want to play? Can I come over and play? It's like, no, come on, Ramit. Leave us alone. Ramit, yeah. leave us alone. Man. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. We're happy to have him, Ramit Sadie, kick it off, kick it off next year. And then uh, on Wednesday, Aaron Sky Kelly, helping you get the hell out of debt. If you're looking at your credit card statements from this month going, oh, there's a reason I'm listening to Stacking Benjamins. You're maybe new to the show this week because you realize that this month wasn't quite going the way it was supposed to be. Aaron's going to help us on Wednesday. And then on Friday of next week, we have the Magic 8-Ball episode 
and we're going to stare into a magic eight ball that Len Penzo uh, got at Walmart, and we're going to ask it some questions about uh, the upcoming year and see how it did on last year. And the Magic 8-Ball had a nice run for a while and then uh, fell on hard times last year, had a return of its dignity, and this year we'll see if it uh, if it maintains its winning ways. All right, but on today's episode, what are we, what are we doing to end this week, OG? What did you plan for us? Uh, let me check my notes. Something about fire. Yeah, but yes. Yeah, I thought that was How really good. You would do that. You know what we decided to do? Brooke uh, said, uh, hey, Joe, what do you think about this? What about the downsides of early retirement? Like we get so excited about planning. We get so geeked about all the things that we can do, right? Especially this time of year, we're dreaming big, looking at next year going, you know what? I'm going to achieve so many things. What are the potential pitfalls? And you know, whenever you're planning anything, you want to look at not just the rosy upside, but also, you know, plan for the worst, hope for the best, plan for the worst. Also, this is from 2019. I was invited out to uh, Brooklyn, Michigan, where Michigan International Speedway is. Uh, I was invited by our friend Kevin Kidd, who's a stacker from Roush Fenway. He heard that I like NASCAR, reached out to me, sent me an email, said, Joe, love the show. You want to come see the pits? You know, we talk about having your team around you, OG, and these guys are driving 200 miles an hour and they have their team around them. And uh, we talk about the importance of teamwork and how a crew all pulls together in so many money and life analogies. Uh, so we'll hear that in the middle of today's show. This is our friend Rocky Lavani from the Richer Soul podcast, Len Penzo, of course, from LenPenzo.com and our very own OG. Let's do it. Uh, Happy New Year, OG. Happy New Year. Thanks. Happy New Year to you too. Yes. Happy New Year to all you stackers. We'll see you all on the other side. This is... The last episode of 2021, The Downside Early Retirement Plus, Lessons from Roush Fenway Racing. I'm Jen from the Frugal Friends Podcast. And when I'm not cutting the end of the toothpaste tube off to get that last little bit of toothpaste, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and according to this crazy holiday calendar, it's drive your Corvette to work day. Or how about, yeah, how about drive your hot car to work day? Because like, I've got the El Camino and Joe's got that incredible Ford Windstar minivan. But here in the basement, we're having, have an incredible podcast day. Here to help, we welcome from the Richer Soul podcast, Rocky Lalvani. And from this podcast, OG, plus from LenPenzo.com, it's the USA Women's Soccer Team! Oh my god! Nah, I'm just kidding, they're a little busy right now, it's just Len Penzo. Today, the team is talking about financial freedom. Is the freedom that being retired brings worth it? Plus, we're going to dive into racing in the middle of today's show as Joe interviews Roush Racing Competition Director Kevin Kidd. What's that got to do with your planning? Turns out, a lot. Plus, we'll magnify someone's money and still leave time for my incredible trivia. And now, the guy who's racing us into turn one of this weekend, 
It's Joe Salcihai. And we're going to take a lot of left turns today because apparently it's guys night in the basement. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And what a podcast we have today because this idea of financial independence we're going to talk about it because I've got some questions and I got the right people to answer those questions. And across the card table from me, the guy who I've had questions about for like eight years, it's my good friend, OG. There are many questions you have about me, including shoe size and what's happening to my receding hairline. Yes. Those are number one and number two. I wonder every day when I sit here, I'm like, what about that receding hairline? Because I don't have one. You have one. Yeah, yours is just gone. Yeah, my, my, my hair just disappeared. There's no receding about yours it. Yours has receded. It has <laughs> retired. Your hair is financially independent, dude. It is. It is somewhere on a beach laughing about the fact it's not associated with me anymore. And by the way, a guy who is uh, deep under Los Angeles cheering the fact that he is almost completely off the grid. It's our good friend, Len Penzo. Yes, the summer heat, Joe, so far has kept the grid still going. You know, everybody's not using all their air conditioning enough to turn everything off. So I'm doing just fine down here. That is good. That's fantastic. But uh, the solar panels are fine. The batteries are good. Everything is absolutely awesome. I am ready for the apocalypse. Yes, the MREs all set to go. Yes. Uh, Just but for your listeners, MREs, you can't. You can't have those. On a, you can't do those over the long term. They uh, they can really bind you up. Not good. You you talk like you know that from experience. I did a little experiment. Yeah. <laughs> did you convince the honeybee to live on MREs for six months? Tell me you didn't do that. No, I did that myself. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't six months, but uh, a few days. What Not a good. What a great way to lose money did, or save money I, I, and lose weight and lose weight. Yeah. And I, and I, did I tell you about the time I, you know, I, I checked my stores as by the way, I opened up a 10 year old can of ravioli about four uh, months ago and, and ate it. You did it eat good. it. Yes, I did. You have to, you have to check it. Take that so, uh, expiration date. Take yeah. that. Oh, it was way past the expiration date, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And it, it tasted great. That's and I lived to tell about it. Lesson learned. It would be such great radio. It'd be horrible for you, but such great radio if you like went into convulsions halfway through this podcast. <laughs> ravioli, bad ravioli induced convulsions. Our our numbers would be through the rough. It's like coleslaw. <laughs> Thank you, Chef Easy. Boyardee. Yes. Yes. We call it the Chef Boyardee episode. And the guy who's wondering what the heck he's doing back, we're so happy he's here to save the episode. Our good friend from the Richard Soul podcast. Last time we saw him, he was in Detroit with us hanging out. We have a lot of fun whenever Rocky Lavani's here. What's happening, Rocky? Keeping busy, living the life, trying to figure out my path to freedom as well. Well, we have no idea. You know, you're on the wrong show if you want to figure that stuff out. That's very true. I'm not here to learn anything tonight. <laughs> that is, that's so much better. Well, tell everybody about the Richard Soul podcast because you go on my runs with me. Uh, a couple days a week. So tell everybody what you're doing over there. It's kind of about the goal of freedom. You know, you got rich. Now what? It's about knowing your purpose, having the right mindsets and finding that harmony between your health, your wealth, your relationships and that connection to the universe. So we talk about everything but money, kind of like here. 
<laughs> but is it especially about your health? It's not. I, I mean, let's face it. If you don't have health, you'll spend all your money for your health. So health is is kind of one of those things that we all need to take care of. And the easiest way is not to eat 10-year-old ravioli. <laughs> <laughs> this episode sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, it's dudes night here in the basement. We're talking financial freedom. We're going to talk a little NASCAR. That's what you do when it's dudes night in the basement. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our headline comes to us from the Think Safe Retire blog and Steve Adcock. Steve's a guy that uh, we should have had on the podcast a long time ago. I'm not sure why we haven't had Steve on the podcast. I think we've said that about a lot of people. But Steve has a fine blog over there at Think Safe Retire. Steve writes, I retired at 35 and after three years, Here's what I've learned about freedom and the things that he says about freedom. He says, I learned what it takes to maintain it. I also realize it isn't something you simply capture and keep. It requires perpetual nurturing. He said, freedom is sort of like your two-year-old child. I want to start with that phrase, Mr. Penzo. You think freedom is something you got to nurture? Well, I don't know if nurture is the right word, but uh, you do have to take care of it because uh, you can think you're being free, but if you ain't careful, you're going to end up being dependent. So it's something you've got to carefully, you know what? I'll, I'll buy nurture. I'll buy nurture. <laughs> I'll go with nurture. <laughs> I got that. Rocky, do you agree? You nurture your freedom? I think so. You have to work on it. I mean, let's face it. We all have problems and we always blame work and blame everyone else. When we don't have work and we don't have all those other people to blame, there's only one person to blame. That's the guy in the mirror. And that's where that nurturing comes in. Figuring yourself out. The first thing that Steve says here is that freedom requires discipline. He says freedom isn't something that's suddenly achieved and then, well, that's it. You have it forever. That's just not the way this works. Incredibly tough to feel truly free, even living in this first real bastion of wealth and opportunity. Sense of freedom takes work, focus. It's not easy to attain. And, uh, oh, gee, when you and I talked to David Bach, though, David Bach had serious problems with this, saying freedom requires discipline. He says it doesn't require discipline. It requires systems, right? Hiding money from yourself, setting things up for win. Do you think it's, is it, is it discipline? Is it systems or is it somewhere in between? Well, isn't systems discipline? Isn't systems making sure that you're doing the right thing and nurturing it like you just mentioned just a second ago? I mean, it's kind of the same thing, but a lot of times people think of freedom to do something, right? Freedom to, you know, play golf every week or freedom to travel or freedom to, but freedom also comes in the sense of freedom from. And I think that's where a lot of the 
responsibility comes after you've attained it. Because a lot of times freedom, I think, comes from being able to say no to different things. And if you aren't careful and you're just kind of willy-nilly with your, say, time, for example, all of a sudden you start giving away that time. You start giving away that freedom. And now you're saying yes to a lot of things. And all of that hard work that you put in to create the life that you wanted to create, whether it's money or time or whatever, relationships, purpose, it uh, it kind of gets eaten away a little bit by a little bit. What do you mean by saying no to things? I mean, I think I know what you mean, but I'd like you to expand upon that. As in, uh, no, I don't want to record this podcast today, Joe. <laughs> well, that was oddly specific. But, be, but, because I, but because I have no freedom, I am obligated to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, freedom from things like if you're an entrepreneur working in a capacity that doesn't fulfill you anymore. Freedom from having to accept that position or that job. Freedom from having to say yes to being on the PTA or something like that. So it's your ability to say no to things and still be comfortable with the fact that you just said no to something. Because for your whole life, as you're working toward, let's say, financial independence, as you're working toward that, you're trying to hustle. You're trying to get everything. You're trying to do more and, and collect more and, and set aside more and all that sort of stuff. And then you get to a point where you just have to say, I can't do this anymore. Or I'm finally to the point financially or time or whatever, where I don't want to do this anymore. Is that the essence, Rocky, is being able to say no? I think being able to say, no, I don't want to do this anymore, especially when it comes to making money is a big part of it. That's a very difficult, scary thing to walk away from, from big money. I mean, it takes guts to do that. And I think it takes even more guts when you're younger. Well, and that's where, Len, I think uh, you as the engineer, that's where the math problem comes in, right? Because as much as people talk about this being an art meets a science, I mean, to be able to say that no with any type of of uh, commitment requires that you do the math. Yeah, you've got to do the math. And let's, and let's just talk about real quick. Again, we've brought this up in the past. Freedom is choices, right? Obviously. And we've talked about this. De- what is debt? Debt puts you in indentured servitude. It's basically puts you in financial slavery. What you're doing is you're trading your future earnings power, using your future's earning power for things you want today. And then that impacts you down the road. And so it all really comes down to debt. And if you want those choices down the road, you've got to avoid that debt as much as possible. Doing that gives you more choices down the road, and there's your freedom. Well, that's half of it. I mean, because then, Len, you also need an engine for the future. If you're going to say no to an opportunity, you need to replace that income, I think, with the assets you've already built up. Absolutely, Joe. I can't even add to that. No, because that is half of it, but the other half is adding to the equation. That's why the math, and, and Len, sticking with you for a second, there's the math of the amount of money you need to save, but there also is the certain rate of return expectation that you have to have on your money, right? I mean, I would imagine that, Len, when you look at your financial independence and whether you're going to retire from work, you're looking partly at what rate of return can I expect from the money that I built up? It, yes. And you know, and I just saw an interesting thing today. You know, The other thing you don't people don't take into account when they're figuring out like what their final number is. That rate of return, part of that rate of return includes the inflation down the road. So if you say, if you're thinking, most people think today and they'll say, well, I need $2 million to retire comfortably. Well, let's just use the terrible rule of thumb based on a 4% 
uh, drawdown, okay? So 25 times your earnings. But what almost everybody forgets is the inflation rate. So that inflation rate actually makes your number that you're thinking you need today actually more. And, and usually that number is about double, if I remember, you know, depending on what you think the inflation rate will be. So if you think, for example, and I'm sorry here, I'm going to just real quickly look at my little chart that I actually downloaded today. I was ah, here. It is. I yes. thought you were going to say chart on your wall that you're going to get a tattoo of. <laughs> Actually, that's a great idea. I could tattoo this thing. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, yes, and I could have these. But anyways, so I'm looking right here. It says, for example, if you want to retire with an income today of a hundred thousand dollars in your retirement, and most people would do the math based on four percent return or four percent uh, drawdown. They'd need two and a half million dollars, but that's not taking into account inflation. Right. If you took into account inflation, you really need four point seven million dollars. And so I guess the point I'm trying to make here is don't forget that math includes inflation. That's something very important that nobody, almost nobody considers. Yeah, Rocky, that back of the envelope math doesn't really work in this case. Well, that happened to me. I mean, my first goal was a million bucks and I'm done. And I got a million bucks and I realized 40 grand ain't enough to live off of, right? <laughs> Inflation kicked in. <clears throat> then I heard a guy and he, you know, he was like, if you have $2 million, you have critical mass. You can do anything you want. So, okay, that's a great goal. And then, you know, you get there and then you realize that's 80 grand a year and 30 grand of it's going to go for healthcare. This is enough. I got to up the number. <laughs> it's a constant chase up the mountain. It's a moving target. It's a yeah, moving never target. Ends. Yep, but these these guys are all working. I mean, I think part of freedom is not to say I'm not going to work. The freedom is to say I'm going to do the work I love. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it as well. So factoring that in as well. Some of these uh, things Steve points to in his second point here, he says, oh, gee, freedom's a muscle where to Rocky's point, it's a moving target, right? I go out and work out once. I went for a six mile run on Sunday feeling pretty good. I can't rest on that and go, well, I ran six miles one time. Well, that's, you just summarized my, my running experiences about 15 years ago. I ran a 5k. Oh, sorry. I got, I did that. I was at, I was at that 5k. Check. That was so funny. By the way, for people that don't remember that story, I'm telling this to, to, to Rocky and Len specifically. So OG waits at the finish line for Mrs. OG, like a hundred yards before. So they can go in like hand in hand, like a romantic couple. And with a hundred yards to go, Mrs. OG sees him standing there and she burns his ass. She just completely just, just out runs right by. <laughs> I'm just waiting there for her. She's boom, right by. And you know, and I'm at a dead standstill. She so what the heck? She goes, Hey, I beat you. Oh, that's not right. It's so yeah. great. It was right. so funny. But let's talk I about. Five, I, I ran a 5K once. Unfortunately, it was a 10K race. They had to, they had to carry me the last 5K. <laughs> I got on a bicycle the rest of the way. Yeah. Time. Oh, gee, but the, fr- uh, freedom is a muscle. Yeah. Muscles, that sort of thing. Is this, is this just uh, making the same point that we just made a second ago? It's discipline. It's you, It takes practice. It's like building a muscle. How many more metaphors do we want to stuff into this? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like running a race. It's like flying an airplane. You must uh, always make sure there's enough fuel and runway. Let me, t- let me tell you, let me tell you part of my reason of bringing this up. Cause I've had a thought after I watched uh, Scott and yeah. Travis's movie playing with fire, which we're bringing to Detroit 
And I'm very excited about that. People are seeing it all over the country. After seeing a lot of people who did the painful thing by saving a lot of money and retiring early and retiring on less, it makes me wonder, Rocky, if the heavy lifting is actually worth it. Like I look at some people and they're trading in this fantastic lifestyle where, yeah, I got to work tomorrow. I got to work the day after that. I got to work the day after that, but I love my lifestyle. I love the place I work. I love all this stuff, but I'm trading the freedom to do whatever the hell I want to be a little bit of a slave, but I dig it. But I think that's where the balance comes in. You keep talking about loving going to work. I think most of the people here are going, I don't love going to work in the morning. If you do great, but if you don't, then make the change. And I think that's where, where the finesse comes in of saying, I can tell them, take this job and shove it and go find another job. Maybe I make less so that I love what I do. It's just the freedom to do all those things. And everyone's got to figure it out for themselves. But if you love your job, go to work, have fun. I worry about though, Len, this is what I worry about. I worry about the fact that I love it today. I love what I do today. Love my lifestyle today. And then for me, the nature of podcasting changes or for you, some new boss comes in, right? New CEO of the company takes a company in a different direction. All of a sudden, all the stuff you like is gone. And I constantly worry about that. Well, that's correct. But that's, isn't that part of your freedom? If you've saved enough, you're not in debt. If you have a lot of choices ahead of you, you've got choices, right? There's other things you can do. You Maybe you have something else you want to focus on. Maybe you have another side hustle that can uh, keep you occupied and maybe bring in a little extra. That's, that's all part of our choices. And yes, that can happen. And I'll tell you this, the longer you're in one doing the same thing, I don't care how much you love the job. Well, I'm sure there's always the exception. I love what I've been doing. I've been doing this now 32 years and I am getting a little tired of doing this. So I am looking for, you know, I, I read about all these people who have, you know, like, um, uh, what's this gentleman's name here? Steve. Steve. Yeah. Like Steve, yeah. you know, the guy's th- retired at 35 and I'm like, I'm looking at that going, Oh my God, that, that looks so good. It really <laughs> starting to look really good. But that's the <laughs> funny thing. The 35 number, Len. <laughs> huh? <laughs> I said, you missed the 35 number. That is in the rear view mirror, brother. <laughs> well, that's way, yeah, well, I missed that, but that's okay. But you know what? Here's the difference, right? Over those 35, and I don't know how he did getting up to that 35, but you know, those extra 20 years that I missed, I've been earning good money. So, which is hopefully will give me freedom my last dwindling years. Well, the, and the ha- time I've got left. And ha- <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an old Western. Go on without me, kid. Go on without me. <laughs> You can make it. Little time I have left. Oh, not quite there. Oh, gee, this is why I keep coming back to financial independence is because even though, you know, and the reason I brought up that devil's advocate piece is that even though people might love everything about today, man, it can all change tomorrow. A guy like you working with families on their financial plan, you see that every day where the rug gets pulled out from under you. I just saw it today. As a matter of fact, had a call with somebody and it wasn't about the rug getting pulled out. It just all of a sudden, you know, they had this vision of what the future was going to look like over the intermediate term, let's say. And then something happened and it and and a new opportunity came up and it was a radically different opportunity than what they had originally kind of set their sights on equally as good, just a different thing. And now it's like, oh, OK, how do I make all this work? 
And that's why it's so important, even throughout those early times and early years, to have the wherewithal, mental fortitude to just say, I got to figure out a way to put aside a little bit of this. Because as Len, you were talking about being in a position to start thinking about better and better and bigger and bigger financial independence opportunities for yourself. The only reason you can do that is because of 25 years of compounding good decisions. And if something crazy happens in your job, you have a long list of stuff that you can kind of go through before you have to make the final decision. You know, you've got an emergency fund that says, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to hang out for a little while and think about it. You're not like, oh crap, how do I put food on the table? But that didn't happen because of yesterday. It happened because of what you did when you were 35. So all this kind of works together. Building this thing for the future is just stacking all little teeny tiny good decisions on top of one another. And then you have the ability to make whatever decision you want. It's stacking Benjamins. That's what it is. That is totally what it is. Well, nice, nice. I mean, I wasn't going to say it, but thank you for saying it. Yeah. I mean, it was would have come off a little uncouth for me to say, but I'm glad that you noticed the... That's why Rocky's our best friend, OG, right there. Yeah. That, is, that is it right there. Uh, tell a story another time about stacking Benjamin when, when you came up with the name. I have my perspective of that. We will do that. Rocky, we're going to give you the first word here. What's our takeaway from Steve's piece? I think the takeaway is build the wealth so that you have the freedom to do what you want at whatever age you want to do it. And he still works. You know, he's just doing the work he loves. So take the steps so you have the choices in life. So you have the freedom to do whatever you choose. Len? Freedom is a muscle. Don't pull your muscle. Or you'll go blind. (laughs) (laughs) I had to say it. I'm sorry. It was right there. Oh, gee, you got the final word. Gosh, I I don't know that I can beat. I can beat lens. I think think we should fix this in post. I think I'm going to have something that uh, is a little bit bit, uh, flimsy compared to that. The older I get, the more I think about freedom from things and not necessarily freedom to things. It's all a different side of the same coin, I understand, but there's something powerful about going, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore and not having any financial or long-term repercussions of it. So freedom comes in a lot of different forms, but the only way you can do those things, like Len said, is if you stretch, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) stretch first, don't pull a muscle. always fascinated by all the neat things that our stacker family does and here's one that's definitely not an exception i mentioned here a few weeks ago that my dad my friend pat and i were headed out to michigan international speedway to see a race and the director of competition for roush fenway racing kevin kidd is one of us and he said hey i'll take you on a tour of the garage we'll give you the vip treatment like are you kidding me absolutely so now as my Father's Day present to my dad. By the way, Kevin, you totally made me look like a hero with my dad on his gift of getting to go to the races. Uh, we went and he took us through tours of the, the garage, of their trailers. 
We met the drivers. We met the crew chiefs. We met engineers. We met a spotter. We met all these people that work on these teams. When you think about racing, you think that there's just somebody gets in a car, they put a car together. Man, there's a huge community of people behind these cars. And if there's anything that really correlates a lot to the planning that we do, it's the planning that these teams do to get ready for race day. And for all of us, we have a race day. It might be retirement. It might be the day we'd buy a new house. But you don't just show up, right? You make sure that you've got your ducks in a row. And to do that, you've got a team of people that you work with. You might be thinking to yourself, well, you know, I don't have a team of people. Well, sure you do. You listen to podcasts. You probably do searches on the internet. Those are proxies for a team. So I was super excited to talk to one of our own, the director of competition for Roush Fenway Racing. It's our friend, Kevin Kidd. I'm here with our fellow stacker, Kevin Kidd, who is with Roush Fenway Racing as the director of competition. Thanks for inviting us out today, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's great uh, that you guys can come out and uh, enjoy the good weather and hopefully enjoy some good racing. I I certainly hope so. Let me ask you this. How does somebody actually get into racing, Kevin? So my own unique situation, grew up basically racing since birth. Um, Family was involved in it. Just something that's always been a passion of my entire immediate family. That launched me into mechanical engineering curriculum at uh, a university. Graduated from Virginia Tech. and Did you go there specifically because you knew you wanted to get into racing? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a plan right from the start. Yeah. So, you know, engineering was something that I viewed as, as kind of a necessity to my goal. I, I was a racer before an engineer is what I like to tell people. Yeah, what age did you start racing yourself? Uh, so uh, probably the earliest memories I have of, of going to racetrack and, and racing uh, for myself was about seven, eight years old. You know, my dad, we owned some little local race cars that uh, we went and messed around with. And then when I got into my teens, that, that became like passion project. That was That was what we did. That was our focus. It was school and racing. <laughs> Does it ever make you, you guys have uh, Ryan Newman and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. are the guys piloting your crafts, I guess, here. Uh, does it ever make you want to just shove them out of the way? Like you get the itch still? No, no. So so <laughs> full disclosure, I never drove. I was oh, always, you never did? Yeah, I was. So my brother, Yeah. he always handled the driving. Gotcha. I always tried to be the brains of the of the project and, and make sure that the cars turned left and, and went yeah. down the straightaways. and Slightly safer. Yeah, definitely safer. <laughs> I drove one time, and uh, that lasted about 15 laps at the local short track. And this was just in practice, so I was out there by myself. Uh, I spun out off a of two, I limped it back around into the pit road, and I got out, and I've never been back in one since. <laughs> like, ta-da, go out on top. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> right. Well, how did you end up with, uh, I mean, one of the premier programs in the nation? Yeah, so I graduated college and then uh, sort of leapfrogged into my, my starter job, which uh, was technically an engineering job, but it was more hands-on grunt work. Uh, hey, I need this uh, thing that's across the shop. Go get it for me. <laughs> But I learned a lot, and, and through the years, I've, I've largely stayed in kind of an engineering role probably 10 years ago, or almost 10 years ago, graduated into crew chiefing. Uh, and so I crew chief for five years before I took the job here, uh, first as team manager and then uh, later as director of competition. So it's really just been a slow, steady process of building up literally from the ground floor all the way up to where I'm at now. Yeah, just hard work, no shortcuts. Yeah, no shortcuts at all. It was uh, uh, just... 
I, I will say this. If you want to consider good opportunities, uh, you know, networking and people just being generous and, and good to you, uh, as a shortcut, then I'm a candidate for that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask next, secrets for the young people, and that would definitely be number one? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly in this sport, uh, it's incredibly hard to get in the door. But once you're in, really what keeps you in is, is never burning bridges and just working hard and uh, showing a willingness to learn with uh, the appropriate amount of ego. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you can't be too far one way or another on that. Right, right. A lot of people that listen to the show don't know racing at all, so they think that you you put a guy in a car and he turns left all the time. But this is, we're sitting here, there's two big haulers, I'm looking at maybe just 12 people right around here. I know there's a bunch of people in the garage next door with a car right now. How many people are on this race team? Yeah, so each of our uh, teams, uh, we travel on Sunday, we'll have about 25 people there. Per, per, team. per team. Yeah, per team. So as an organization, we'll have... Uh, by the time you get our marketing staff and, and management and, and folks, you know, we have uh, roughly 60 people yeah. uh, for our two cars. Yeah. And we were watching the race yesterday, and it's amazing to listen to the radio because, and I think this is a good finance analogy, is that the driver's out on the track. He can't see a lot. You've got this amazing person up top. Tell me about the relationship between the guy they call the spotter and the uh, race car driver. Well, you know, the spotter, he, his job every year just keeps getting more and more important. And, and like you said, there's a definite relationship there. Uh, when we hire spotters, we, we really look for that relationship first. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we look for guys who uh, have worked with this driver in the past if, if they're not currently working together to see that, okay, have they worked together? Do they know the lingo? Do they, they know how to communicate with one another? Uh, it's so important because there's not a rule book or a, a set of uh, guidelines on how to spot the language that gets used and, and every guy does it differently. Yeah. And really it just comes down to what works between the driver and the spotter. And, and, uh, I can tell you this, if it doesn't work, it's a train wreck. You know it right away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we work hard to make sure that's right. Boy. It, and, uh, just these guys are going, how fast will they get going at the speedway? Uh, yesterday we were seeing, uh, in when they got good runs in a draft, uh, upwards of about 195, 196. Um, and these guys are talking on the radio, Kevin, like they're on a, I mean, not on a Sunday drive, but they're very calm. Yeah. They're very cool. I mean, there's no panic going on at all. And, uh, these guys are making some big decisions on the fly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sometimes I think I panic worse when I'm driving down the interstate right. and I get mad at somebody <laughs> for cutting me off. Cheryl tells me that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 this is their job and so like your job my job you know we know it well uh, it becomes comfortable after a while and you get settled into that routine and so things that happen out there that uh, you would think would just be mind-numbing to them it, yeah. it happens all the time yeah this is a track that's known for not very many yellow flags which means problems on the speedway so really strategy becomes a big part like overall i know at this track and the one you were just at up in pocono strategy is a big part that means the crew chief is really important. Tell me about the role of the crew chief on the team. Yeah, the crew chief is the the head coach of the program. And so he's making, again, all those strategy decisions, uh, not only about you know when to pit, when not to pit, when to put tires on, when not to put tires on, when to take fuel or, or fuel only. All those things are part of uh, kind of the act of race management. But then there's also the, the complete other side of it, which is you know managing all these 12 guys 
that come to the racetrack. Uh, so there is some emotional component to it, like being able to keep emotions in check. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's a huge part of what that job entails. A good crew chief is part engineer. He's part psychiatrist. Sometimes he's part doctor. Uh, social worker. Social worker, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, you, you, you could probably come up with a whole, whole bunch of analogies that right. fit into that role. Right, but overall a capitalist because he wants to win, damn it. Absolutely. That's yeah, exactly yeah. right. <laughs> so I think uh, you know, good crew chiefs are uh, they're well-skilled in what they do. It's a very unique job. I'm not sure that uh, there are many jobs out there like it. Again, probably the best analogy I have is a head coach of a football team or a basketball team or something like that where it's really about managing – whole bunch of different things all at once. And then your job as director of competition, does that over-encompass all of it? It does, yeah. So the, the crew chiefs uh, and, and a lot of our engineering staff back at the shop, uh, the engineers who come here to the racetrack, uh, basically anybody that has anything to do with uh, the strategy and the decision-making and the engineering of our cars uh, kind of follows underneath my umbrella. Well, today is Saturday. The big race is tomorrow. You know nobody listens to the show, Kevin, except you and Mom. That's right. So can you tell us a little bit about your strategy tomorrow then? The strategy tomorrow, it's going to be a wild race because, uh, you know, probably to the average listener, you won't know what I'm talking about. But uh, the rules package that we have here is completely different than what we've ever had here. Uh, so it's going to be a real tight group of cars out there racing. Restarts are going to be ridiculous. So job number one is stay out of trouble. Uh, make sure that we, we finish the race, and uh, from there, it's about finishing it well. And uh, I think that uh, tomorrow is going to be a, a whole lot about handling, being able to get off a of turn two and off a of turn four straight and low and, and get on the throttle quickly. Uh, and if we can do that, we're going to have a good day. There are so many retirement planning analogies there, I can't tell you. <laughs> Kevin, man, thanks for the invitation, and thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And of course, racing has a ton to do with financial planning, right? I mean, like you race out of your funds when the market goes down, right? Oh, what's that? Oh, you don't, you don't do that. Hmm, okay, well, uh, you, you race straight to the bank when you're overdrawn. You, you just avoid that altogether, huh? How about this? You race down to the liquor store before you look at your investments online. Not advised. Yeah, I'm doing that anyway. Well, I guess I'm not sure really what racing has to do with planning, but Kevin and Joe sure seem to think there was something to it. All I know is that NASCAR is a great topic for trivia. So how about this one? Roush Fenway Racing, that's the team that Kevin works for, is one of the most successful teams in the sport. According to a recent Forbes piece, how much is their NASCAR operator worth? I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. Rocky, you remember the very complex rules to this shindig from last time? All right. We play Price is Right style. It's the closest without going over. Today, you are playing on behalf of Paula. Paula has been on a tear. She now is tied with OG for second, a.k.a. last. Len has pulled ahead. Early in the year, OG had a big win, and he's really hoping for one, which, by the way, is the reason why, now that you and OG are tied, OG gets to decide first, do you want to go first 
in the middle or last OG. Finally, <laughs> 26 weeks into the year, I choose to go last. Clearly not his first rodeo. Uh, Rocky, on behalf of Paula, you want to go first at this thing or in the middle? I'm going to go in the middle. That is also very strange. Not his first rodeo, which means Len Roush, Fe- <laughs> Roush Fenway <laughs> racing. Very successful operation in NASCAR for people that know cars. Roush, pretty big name. What are you thinking? How much is that operation worth? They have, let me tell you what that includes, by the way. Yes, please. Talking to Kevin, they take 50 guys to the track. They have a season that runs from the end of February with the Daytona, mid-February with the Daytona 500. Of course, they're at Daytona for weeks before that getting ready into uh, probably, what, mid-November? Almost every week they're on the road. They have two cars. They have to pay licenses to NASCAR for the car numbers. That's how they NASCAR makes money from the driving teams. Then they get sponsors to the operation. So 25 guys per team, he told me. So you got uh, 50 guys at the track, and then you have another many, many dudes. Another many, many dudes. That's great English, Joe. At a garage in uh, their headquarters is in North Carolina, outside of Charlotte. So what am I guessing? Like what their gross revenues are every year? Or what's, what the, if they were going to sell that team, what is the enterprise t- value? What's the okay. enterprise value? Right. So, what's the so team I worth? Gotta, so I got to guess their their profit and then uh, so many times, three, four times earnings, I guess. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Uh, gosh, I this is crazy. I have no freaking clue. I can't even begin to fake it with the math on this. I'm just going to guess. I'm going to say the company's worth $250 million. $250 million is Len's guess. What do you think, Rocky? I'm thinking. <laughs> I don't know anything about NASCAR. <laughs> I'm going to go with $500 million just to make OG have to suffer somewhere mm-hmm. in there. Just make it. <laughs> good move, Rocky. Good move. Good move. That's a good spread in there. It's a good spread. Yeah. He's got to go somewhere in between. Right? Spread in the field. OG, it's your big shining moment. What's the sale value of Roush Racing? Well, I think uh, who's the other guy? Gibbs. So Joe, Joe Gibbs. Gibbs. Joe Gibbs has a team. Know, he's got a team, and I want to say I thought I heard that that he's on the billionaires list because of it. Wow. Yeah. Roger Penske also has a team. Uh huh. So this is Roush. So is it under 250, between 250 and five, or over five? Those are my three numbers. I was thinking it was closer to a billion. So I'm going to say 500 million and one dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rocky gets Chelsea Brennan by OG. All right. Is it 250, 500, or 501 dollar? It'd be awesome if it was exactly on 500. That would be cool. <laughs> well, th- it doesn't matter then. You know, I, then he got it right. Like any self respecting podcast, though, we're going to make you wait for that answer. Well, as we roam into the home stretch of this holiday season, I hope you're having a fantastic holiday week here, the last week of the year. If you've been hanging out with us, 
I hope we've made it just a little bit brighter with these fire episodes. But if you're looking to slay the season, Navy Federal Credit Union's cash reward card can help. You earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases when you sign up for direct deposit. You can redeem the points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. It's NavyFederal.org, insured by NCUA. All right, Len, $250 million. Turns out you're the low guy on the totem pole. What do you think about that? You know what? I, I really don't know. I, you know, I was just thinking about football teams. Aren't like the Dallas Cowboys worth, uh, or or a man or soccer Manchester United? Aren't they aren't they worth like billions, three or four billion? I, I don't know. I feel pretty good. I got a two hundred fifty million dollars spread. You do. You got it, which is more than I can say for Rocky. I was going to so, ask Rocky next. So I'm feeling okay compared to Rocky. Rocky, you got to nail it. What do you think about that? Done. <laughs> it is going to happen. Rocky's like, I'm not even listening to the answer. OG, above 500 million, maybe Len might have a point there with all these uh, pro sports teams worth a ton of money, and they might pay play what 20, 30, 40 games compared to uh, well, NASCAR. That was kind of that's that's that was the metric I was using was, you know, the the uh, Lakers are worth a couple billion, the the uh, Cowboys are worth a few billion. So, you know, this is less than that, but I don't know by what order of magnitude. So, all right. This is according to way off. According to a Forbes piece here is where Doug got the answer. Doug, what is our answer? Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it's time to turn left on today's trivia. See the NASCAR reference I did there? See how the greats do it? Anyway, today's question was this. In honor of special guest Kevin Kidd on today's show, how much is the Roush Racing Team, the team Kevin works for again, told you that, how much is that team worth? According to Forbes, the team's value is $140 million. Eh, You know, well, I guess it's okay. I wonder how much a basement-based podcast is worth. Six bucks? Six bucks? Whoa, Joe! Take the money and run, pal! Take the money! See ya! Should have gone with the dollar. We're all over. Kevin would be excited to know that everybody thinks that he's worth, uh, they're worth way more than that. Or maybe it's depressed. I don't know which one that would be. Would you be excited or depressed if if our panel thought they were worth double, at least that? Depends on how many shares I owned, I suppose. (laughs) I think so, right? (laughs) Uh, by the way, thanks to Kevin for spending some time with us. And by the way, for allowing us to go back and look at the garage. I know my friend Pat and my dad and I all absolutely love that tour of of what they do to make a race go off. And guys, uh, w- one thing that happened to me at the race I wanted to talk to you guys about, because, you know, like Kevin said, there's there's a ton of people on this racing team. When people think about racing, they think about one person. And I thought it's a lot like financial planning, but it was funny in one of the minor league races I was watching early in the race, the guy we were following on the radio. And if you ever get to go to a race, I'll tell you racing for a lot of people isn't that fun. Just watching cars go around in a circle. They don't really know what's going on. I think it'd be fun for anybody if you have the radio, like if you go spring for the radio where you can listen to the drivers as they're talking to their spotter and their pit crew chief, because now as you're listening to this operation work together, it is incredibly fascinating. Maybe it's just me, but I don't think so. 
I think it's pretty, pretty fun. We were listening to a guy who was in fifth place in a minor league race early on in the weekend. And we hear his uh, pit crew chief come on while they're under a yellow flag, which means everybody's going slow and they're just going around waiting for a mess to be cleaned up on the track. And he said, you know what? We're going to be really conservative now because we might have to be really aggressive later. And what's interesting was they did something really conservative. They came in at the pit and they did it very conservatively and made sure everything was in tune. And late in the race, they did something very aggressive. They took no new tires while everybody else was taking tires. They took just enough fuel to reach the end. They went from fifth to fourth to third to second to first. They end up winning the race because they got aggressive at the end. But I wonder, and I want to throw this out there. Had there ever been times in your life when you regret the fact that you got aggressive too early? Because I was thinking how many times people go, yeah, I'm going to be aggressive right now. I'm 23. I'm 24. Where instead in this race, they go, hey, 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 we got 100 laps. We're going to be really conservative now on lap 25 so that we can be really aggressive when it really matters. You ever, Rocky, think that you've maybe got too aggressive too soon? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's a different game. You've got to play the game to play the game. And getting aggressive with savings up front leaves you that big runway at the end. Getting aggressive with savings is one thing. I think that's actually being conservative. That's like being a uh, squirrel putting away more nuts for the winner, right? But being aggressive on the investing end, going into option strategies or these small cap stocks only, that type of thing. And I think early on, you do that to learn. You learn markets, you build skills. So, yeah, I would say I was probably aggressive that way early on, doing all kinds of crazy things. I lost lots of money at it. I learned a lot of lessons. <laughs> yeah, but do you ever regret that and think how much further ahead you would have been? For a fleeting second, and then I move on. Yeah. Len, what about this idea of, you know, everybody says be aggressive when you're young. What if you're more conservative when you're young, stash a bunch of money, learn what you're doing so you can be more aggressive later? Well, I wouldn't be conservative when you're young too long. You know, there's something to be said for being a little conservative. Maybe you're getting your feet wet and trying to figure things out. But, uh, you know, you got to take advantage. I think we've talked about this in the past. You've got to take advantage of your youth. Youth allows a lot of there's a lot of forgiveness for mistakes. And if you're going to make big mistakes, make them when you're young. As you get older, those mistakes, uh, you don't have as much time to recover. So, uh, you know, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, be a, be conservative up front, but uh, don't do it for too long because you've got to get out there and you got to leave the nest. You got to take some chances. Do you think that, OG, it sounds like Rocky and Leonard saying that it's actually the opposite for life. Be more aggressive when you're young. What do you think? Well, I'm going to take a little different turn on this. I kind of wonder if in the realm of the life that I've lived in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur since the first day that I started working when I was 11 and how that parlayed into the decisions that I made, you know, into high school and throughout into college. And when I started building my financial planning business and things like that, meanwhile, watching friends or watching family members or people that didn't have the exposure, the risk of being a hundred percent entrepreneur saying, Oh, well, you know, yeah, I got my cool little pay raise last year. I put away my money in my 401k and they took the quote conservative route and worked for the man, so to speak. 
and I didn't. I mean, I, I still have very vivid memories of the year that shortly after when we got married that I made 600 bucks after expenses for the entire year. And my wife said, that was a cool experiment. It sucks. Let's not do that ever again. <laughs> you know, and you get all the good stuff, you know, by being an entrepreneur and by being in charge of everything. But there are certainly days, you know, like Rocky said, where there's some fleeting moments where I go, wonder if I would have just been a private equity guy at Goldman Sachs, you know, assuming that I was even smart enough, you know, to, uh, or, or whatever, you know, if I'd have just gone worked at the bank or been a stockbroker at Schwab or, you know what I mean? Just like something that punched my nine to five, put my money in my 401k, washer and repeat, and like how that would have been a little different. So I think about it that same way. I had an offer from a very good financial planner to go work for him when I was in my late 20s. And I told him, no, I turned him down. I said, no, the half the fun is coming up with it on my own. And I wish I would have been more conservative there. And I wish I would have put my tail between my legs and learned something. Because instead of learning to reinvent the wheel that he'd already created, I could have taken the wheel that he's already made and then gone to the next, you know, next level later. So lots of ways well, to we've take seen that. It, we've seen it work both ways. You know, in our in our business, you and I know of plenty of people who have kind of gone both directions with that. The employee like kind of build up route and the kind of DIY created as you go. And it, it's ultimately successful both ways, you know, if you put the time and energy into it. But uh, yeah, that's true. Man, there's some lean years. You go the employee route, though, early. It gets harder the longer you're an employee it gets harder to leave. It gets harder to take that chance. Yeah. So you could get trapped if you're, you know, that's why I, I don't know, Matt. I just, yeah, it's funny to hear the two different perspectives on it, you know, having experienced only one side of it, you know, it's uh, grass is not necessarily greener. It's never greener, it's but if you, just you keep stacking those Benjamins and you have millions of them, you can go do whatever you please. You can walk away from the employee or you can walk away from the entrepreneurship because you have the freedom to do so. God, I love you. <laughs> all right. Well, as Rocky said, I can go. I'll see y'all later. <laughs> you got to hold on, dude, because we're going to take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money, OG, just a few minutes longer. Today's hotline right, comes to you. My legs are getting tired. Today's hotline comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you find those financial products you use every day that they're nowhere near the best in class. Over 92%, 92% of the products available online, all raked at Magnify Money. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. Right now, we're going to help Rosie with her money. Say hi, Rosie. Hi, Joe and OG. This is Rosie, longtime listener, first time caller. I must have been starting from a very low baseline because I feel like I've learned a few things since I've been listening. My question is about my parents' retirement. They have IRAs and annuities with various organizations, including their local bank. I'm pretty sure that the bank's investment advisor is not a fiduciary, and they've been charged some crazy fees. I'd like to consolidate all of their retirement holdings into uh, one company, like a Schwab, Vanguard, or Fidelity, and put them in some low-cost index funds. They are 69 and 70 and already retired, so I'd like to not ruin their lives by putting them in a too-risky asset allocation. My dad gets a pension, and they're both collecting Social Security, which actually covers their monthly expenses. What would you recommend for an asset allocation? 
50-50 stocks and bonds, two years of expenses and cash and the rest in equities. Again, it's technically not my money. So I'd really like to not lose it all for them. Thanks for taking my question and I'll take the answer offline. Uh, thanks, Rosie, for that. It's funny, OG, I think you, as much as anybody, because you worked at a bank, you could probably say with about 90% certainty that that uh, person at the bank probably isn't a fiduciary. Not 90%, 100%. I know for, I know for certain. There's got to be some people inside a bank somewhere who are, fidu- uh, are a can't fiduciary. Be. Can't be. No. I, I guarantee no. It just boils down to who's getting the checks and for what. You know what I mean? As you think about it from a banking relationship, the bank is going to get money from a product company. The bank is turns around and pays a commission to their employee. Somebody can prove me wrong. I'd be happy to eat crow. But yeah, um, yeah. I just don't. I, I mean, they can say they are. That's the thing. This is the thing I want people to understand. There's a difference between being legally obligated to do it which is what a fiduciary is, and someone who acts in your best interest anyway. You don't have to be a fiduciary to do the right thing for your clients. There's nothing wrong with that. There are some people who want to have the check mark in the box that says, well, this guy's legal, this gal's legally obligated to do it. <laughs> By the way, just because they're obligated to do it also doesn't mean that they will do it. Right. There's no guarantee that they will. There's just a little bit more recourse on your part if they don't. But... Um, you know, the vast majority of people do what's best, you know, so you don't necessarily need the title, so to speak. But um, anyway, I saw that uh, firsthand. I was at a conference recently and I saw OG, you and I talked about this. I saw a big name, big name fiduciary oh, yeah. financial advisor, and uh, they started talking about annuities and he was against big them. Want to be fiduciary advisor. And he, and he was against them. And then somebody said, hey, so and so. Because of your relationship, the way you get paid, is that why you wouldn't recommend an annuity? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And they said, well, if we could make an annuity where you could get paid to recommend them, would you take a look at them? And he's like, well, absolutely. And then, yes, I would. <laughs> yes, yes. I, all of a sudden, the fiduciary <laughs> thing goes out the window. <laughs> yes. And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, guys. I don't want the emails. I understand that 85% of annuities are horrible. They're packed with fees. They're rotten, but not every annuity is. And as a product type, I just thought it was funny that there's a lot of people screaming bad things about products, but on the other side, they can't get paid (laughs) if they recommend them. (laughs) It kind of, there's no incentive for them to not be negative. Commission. Yes. Would you be willing to sell it? Yes. Yes. And please save the emails. I get it about annuities. I get it. But anyway, let's uh, talk about asset allocation, though. Rocky, where would you go here? What are you thinking uh, with mom and dad's money? Well, first of all, I don't know how healthy they are, and I don't know what the longevity looks like. They're 70 now, roughly. You know, are we planning for 85? Are we planning for 95? Or, you know, are they going to live to over 100? So I think that that comes into the question. It sounded like she wasn't very risk tolerant. She didn't want to lose all their money. I can't predict the market, but right now the markets are high. So I don't know if that's the time that I would want to invest. So I I think she doesn't need to push the gas pedal. It sounds like they're already living off of Social Security and his pension. So there's no need to take massive risk for these people. So why take it? You know, just 
kind of going back to the racing analogy, you're in first place and there's nobody in the rearview mirror. Take it easy and just enjoy the ride. The last thing you want is the fear of something going wrong. So what do you think there? Do you think keep the conservative allocation they have now, just move it to lower fee stuff like she wants to do? I don't think she said what her current allocation was. You know what? She She, didn't say what the current allocation was. Honestly, I'd be happy in a 50-50 allocation for somebody at that age because he's got Social Security and a pension and they're living off of it. So there's not a lot of risk that, you know, if they do lose a lot of money, it's not like they need it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, Len, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm I'm with uh, Rocky. I, you know, it sounds they've got the pension, which is great. I, I think most Americans don't even get to enjoy a pension these days. So that's that's a blessing. They've got the Social Security. Uh, so I would be totally conservative myself. And the only thing I would say is you've heard me say it before. I think uh, you do a little wealth insurance and maybe take 10 percent of that and put it in uh, gold or silver. And that's it. You and I have to have a talk about that at some point because I have another uh, idea for you. We won't do it on the show today, though. But I have an idea that I think that you would like, Len, that I'd like to get your take on. But some other day. Cool. Yes. Very good. Uh, OG. The idea is don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the idea is I got something better. <laughs> I got an idea about that. So I have the exact opposite approach compared to uh, these fine young men here. Here's how I would think about it. I would say, give me a scenario, the worst case scenario of needing cash from the investment portfolio. So right now we don't need anything, right? Pension, social security takes care of the bills. But what if, you know, what if there's a healthcare expense or what if there's, you know, who knows, right? A major house repair, like what's the worst case scenario? What if tomorrow morning Social Security Administration comes out and says, we've solved the problem, everybody gets half from now on, mission accomplished, and there's a big banner, and somebody stands in front, I'm just, that might be a bridge too far, but um, <laughs> in any event, so you can, so play a little what if game. Now, I, I personally don't think that's what they're going to do with Social Security, and most people are going to project worse scenarios than probably will happen, but I'll even play the game. So you say, okay. The worst case scenario is I have this huge out-of-pocket cost, or God forbid, I have a huge expense on December 31st and another huge one January 1st, which effectively is the same day, but according to the insurance people, it's a different year. So I've got to write two separate checks and, you know, kind of play that out a little bit and say, maybe that works out to be X dollars. It's $100,000 in the worst case scenario that I would have to spend out-of-pocket for the next three years uh, if something really goes wrong. Then the rest of it, should be invested for the long term. You've got this time horizon, whether it's three years, five years, 10 years, whatever, of extra cash. I would say three is probably more than adequate. If you wanted to say five and you wanted five years worth of extra money in cash, fine. But the rest of it should be invested for much longer because it's not even just the longevity of mom and dad who statistically, if they're non-smokers, one of them will live to be in their upper 90s. So we were talking about inflation before, or Rocky was bringing that up. You need your money to grow with inflation because your pension's not going to. So eventually it buys less stuff. But also, most people don't think about the time horizon of their heirs, their kids and grandkids. I mean, if you were setting aside money for your grandkids right now, what's the time horizon? 100 years. You've got all the time in the world. You're pointing at me like you have something to say. Well, I think that... Please. 
I mean, just looking at markets over time, I think that you're right. Here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about this. I'm worried about it's the daughter making the recommendation. I'm worried then about mom and dad's ability to mentally withstand what you're advocating, which, by the way, if it's all math, you're advocating historically the right approach. But it's not all math. They're going to get emotional when they lose too much money in a down market, and they're going to jump off the ship from the strategy. So at what point do you abandon the right strategy mathematically to make sure that the client eats their oatmeal? Yeah. Well, the other part of that, I think, with when you game that out and say, well, what's the worst case scenario? I think part of that also is saying, what's the worst case scenario for investments? You know, Rocky, you were talking about you don't have any idea what the stock market's going to do today or tomorrow. Seems high, could be. It figures out a way to fool the greatest number of people, right? That's what uh, some smarty pants said one time. So we don't know what's going to happen. The thing is, is that nobody does. So play the game. So, okay, you got a million dollars. If a year from today, you have $100,000 in cash and your investment account that was 900000 is now worth seven hundred, but you still have five years worth of $20,000 distributions, what do you think? Oh, I would freak out. I would put my money in a CD. All right. Well, that gives you that threshold of let's build something that's not going to have a high likelihood of getting there. Your favorite saying recently, Joe, is don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And you've said it about 67 times, I think, in the last three weeks. Well, I've tried to I've tried to alternate between that and talking about landing the plane and about how sometimes the runway and the glide slope. Yeah, I actually used a glide slope today. As a matter of fact, it was fantastic. Nice. uh, To reach your retirement goal. Yeah, well, it wasn't. It was actually to reach the landing of the runway because it was cloudy, and uh, it's very freaky when you pop out the bottom of clouds and you're like, "Whoa, there's the runway!" Good lord, it's right there. Hello, yeah, <laughs> that's like that's like retirement when you're unprepared. There it is. See, you've got the you got the analogies. Thanks. All your stupid plane analogies. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Rosie. I think we got a thorough answer there. If you've got a question for the team. Head to uh, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail and we can help you magnify your money. Thanks to Magnify Money for helping us out. That's going to do it for today, guys. We're going to let Rocky, our guest of honor, go last. We'll start with Len Penzo. What's happening, Len, coming up at lenpenzo.com? 12 ways to splurge on date night without breaking the bank. How's that? Oh, boy. Everybody needs a date night now and again, right? Yes, uh, Absolutely. Back rub and a Schlitz. And a what? And a Schlitz. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that splurging? Yeah, no. make sure the Schlitz a is natty light. That the Schlitz the tall is tall boy. Oh, yeah, tall boy Schlitz. <laughs> That's like supersizing date night, the big Schlitz. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know where this got off the rails. Uh, that's, that's fun in a way to have a, uh, fun date night, Len. It's going to be, I'm sure that that's number one on your list. I bet. Oh, gee, what do you got going on this weekend? Goodness gracious. Uh, I got a big uh, meeting this weekend for my uh, after school activity. So that's coming up. Fourth of July is coming around the corner. So, uh, you know, a few days of work and then, you know, a few days of fun, play a little golf. It's uh, middle of summer. So it's talking about freedom sometimes it's hard to stay motivated. (laughs) Well, with the holiday week coming up too. Rocky, thanks a ton for hanging out with us, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. 
Well, I appreciate being here. Fun as always. What's coming up on the Richer Soul podcast? So I've we've just recently had on a few guests who are literally building their life of their dreams and creating freedom. And I think Brad was early in his journey, late 20s, sharing his journey. Tommy, Tommy's in his early 40s. He walked away from a million dollar opportunity, said, this is killing me. I'm not doing it anymore. And then Casey was on. Casey was making half a million dollars a month at the peak. And he also walked away. He said, this isn't making me happy. So these guys have walked away and they share their journey and they, they talk about how to live a life of uh, abundance. Wow. Talking about being conservative now so you can be aggressive later. <laughs> there, there, <laughs> there it is. I'll pass. That's awesome. And uh, if you're walking the dog, you're on your commute, whatever, we've got you covered. We'll have the links to everybody on our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Uh, this is it, guys. This is eight weeks. Next week, we're going to play three episodes that are the best of the Stacky Benjamin show. We got the fin turn coming in to clean up while OG and I are taking a break. So we'll see you after the uh, holiday week. Everybody have a great 4th of July. But coming up next week, three of our favorite episodes. So take us with you wherever you go. Thanks a ton. We'll see everybody next time. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? Well, Joe, first, early retirement. Oh, while it's a muscle, it's also about the why. Why are you leaving your job? What are you going to? Don't just retire from something. Retire to something better. Second, take a hint from Kevin Kidd. What roles is everyone on your team doing to help you reach your goals? Every player is important, and your financial independence team should be all on the same page if you plan to win the race of life. But the big lesson? Can someone please stop Len from making NASCAR racing noises? It doesn't even sound like a Ford, Len. It sounds like something died in your lower intestine. No, stop. I'm trying to record the takeaways here, man. Jeez, Len. Thank you. Big thanks to Kevin Kidd, competition director for Roush Fenway Racing, for joining us. You'll find Kevin at tracks all across America all year long, and you'll find more about the team at RoushFenway.com. And thanks to Rocky Lalvani for joining us again. Check out Rocky's Richer Soul podcast wherever you're listening to us now. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and all of the darkness and doubt in the world. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Len Penzo, your doctor has called and said, please go back on your medication.
There's a lesson here, Rocky. What's the lesson about the after show, Rocky? It's coming. Just stay tuned. <laughs> That's not the lesson I was looking for. Len, what's the lesson? Uh, what would you say well, if this were I, your kids and they were sitting around for a minute waiting for a segment of a show that isn't even a part of the show? I don't know. You know what? Instead of, I tell you what, everybody over my house for dinner, ravioli, folks. It's on, <laughs> I'm ravioli. He got it for 37 cents a can and then inflation hit. Right. <laughs> Back in 2001. <laughs> right. <laughs> and for the record, Len, you can eat MREs for a lot longer than simply three days. I know you can, but, you know, it, there's a goes into and it goes out. And the goes out doesn't, if there's more goes into than goes out, you're in big trouble. Somebody's in big trouble. That's correct. <laughs> but I can personally verify at least a two week stint of breakfast, lunch, and dinner MREs. Really? Yeah. Oh really. my God, dude. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag glory I, days. There's people listening to this that can go, oh, yeah, two weeks. That's cute. I remember in <laughs> Afghanistan, I did 40 days. Oh, oh it, I'm, I'm not saying it'll kill you, but boy, you're going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Len, his was government advocated. Let's put it that way. <laughs> well, I didn't do it on purpose. Were you regular in those two weeks? You weren't regular. I have no recollection of that, Senator. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 